so um, while Ryan, while you and the choir were singing, I just opened scripture. to the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. And if you could, I would just um, like for you to join me before we study and think about who we are as the body of Christ to precede that by thinking about the wonder of our God. And since the song that we just sang was true and is true in this moment and forever will be true, I would just like for us to pause and actually participate with the heavenlies. You are holy, Lord. With the countless thousands upon thousands, and with loud voices we cry out, You're holy, Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So Father, all that we do in this gathering this morning is fall down upon our knees and tell you that you are holy, Lord. That you are worthy, Lord. And God, we don't do that in a corner of America in Mandarin, Florida. Father, we join with eternal realms in crying out of your holiness and your worth. And so Jesus, with every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature on the sea, everything within every one of us, we tell you that you are a blessed Lord. You are worthy of honor, Lord. You are glorious, Lord. You are powerful, Lord. You are the one seated on the throne. And God, to the Lamb, Jesus Christ, forever and forever we cry holy. Living creatures join in, and they echo our prayer. Amen. 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 That is true. We've been in a series for um, a couple of weeks that has talked about this idea of the beautiful privilege that we have as a church to step into every phase and to speak and declare the holiness and wonder of God. And so I, I just want to join in by saying all we can do and should be about is what we just sing about, crying out, God, you are holy, you are glorious, and you are, you are good. And we're declaring that back and forth among generations in this room. But what's more powerful is that it's being declared in the heavenlies right now, and we're declaring it back and forth with the eternal realm as well. With our hearts just sharpened for that and impassioned for that, If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in two spots this morning. If you have your app, we're using those as well. And the 22nd chapter of the book of Matthew will be a passion point for us. And it is truly um, 
It's truly spoken out of the sixth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. And if you were here last week, you kind of know that when Moses would speak, he would just, he would just come back. And Deutero means being repetitive. And nomos, Deuteronomy, nomos means the law. And he would just come back and speak the law over his people. And so I just, I just want to kind of mimic him a little bit and say, if we're in this phase, which um, I define phase as this, or I actually didn't. A group we're partnering with in our age-graded ministries just defined it this way. It is a time frame in the life of a faith family, in the life of a church, when we leverage the opportunities that God is giving us. And those are distinctive opportunities. When we leverage them to influence the future for the sake of God's glory. And in doing so, I think we want to root here. Um, the scripture just will tell us this in Matthew 22. We want to be rooted, established, rested in the love of God in Christ. If that could be what we perpetuate as we say, God, we're creating a distinctive future for generations here. And we want to define and permeate that future with the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is more important than ritual or rule and as and as was established by, by Moses in the Old Testament as he spoke the Shema and picked up by Jesus as he expounded upon that. He said, this is the very heart of the matter. If you want to read with me um, so we can gather at the heart of the matter, Jesus was um, speaking to a group. He had gone through many extraordinary encounters and a group came to trip him up and they said, tell us what the most important thing is, what the most important law would be, what should we hang our hat on? And Jesus said in the 22nd chapter of the book of Matthew, in verses 37 through 40, he said to him, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the greatest and the most important command that you could be about. The second is like it. This was a big and for Jesus. This was a tag on to the Shema. He was saying there's something that's critically important. If you were in um, our small group this morning, allow the truth of what Jesus is saying in this moment to deepen you in what we studied the first hour of our gathering this morning. And he said this, and the second is this, love the Lord your God and secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend upon these two commands. If we could just center our lives, the motive for our obedience, the motive for our gathering as a church, the motive for what we are and who we are is a love relationship with God. And perhaps for me personally, that's why for the last, you know, 25 years, Susan and I have consistently returned to a study entitled Experiencing God. If we, as we have wrestled with decisions or come about with moments where we're saying, God, we're not clear about where to go. It does, it doesn't draw us back to stipulations and law and rules, although it doesn't void them. It simply draws us back to our first and foremost priority. God, we love you. And in that love relationship, how do we hear your voice and move with you? I would say to you, it gives clarity, if you will, across generations. If we really are going to live in every phase, and if we really are as a church going to leverage this moment, 
These days that we're walking on this earth, for me personally, as you want to get more um, detail with this, these days of Bible school and the next week where our kids are going to go center their hearts at camp, if we want to le- leverage these as distinctive opportunities, we will center them in the love of God and Christ and root there and establish there. The motive for any and all of this, our obedience, is loving Christ and it will give clarity to who we are, why we exist, where we're going, why we're going where we're going, and who we declare. I saw that this week, and I, um, I posted this on social network, and, and it was a very powerful encounter, and, and, it be, and it continues to be a powerful encounter with Jesus and understanding the, the, the might of leveraging for opportunities, and honestly, the eternal implications of levering for op- opportunities. I mean, anything that happens in the state of Alabama is a good thing for me, except this week. I read on the news this week um, that Mount Zion Baptist, which is a, a beautiful church in Huntsville, Alabama, had a group of people that were heading to Botswana to go and serve Christ and to serve and mobilize his ministry and mission and to serve some orphans and care there. And it was an extraordinary opportunity for that church. And in fact, I discovered as the week went on that some dear friends of mine that, that, that is and was their home church, they've recently moved. And so they were writing about this from an extraordinarily personal manner. And I, I just watched thinking, God, be gracious in this. And midweek this week, as they were heading to Atlanta International to move on their journey to, um, to Botswana, Africa, uh, the bus overturned. There was a child at that point that had lost their life. I believe that's still the case that one child has lost their life. Her name is Sarah. And uh, there were nine others that were critically injured in an extraordinarily painful situation. And I just kind of watched that for two days and prayed over that and just prayed for them. And, and then, and then um, this video popped up in my news feed by News 4 um, in, in Birmingham, Alabama. And I was just blown away by what it means to leverage. And they say, God, distinctive opportunities for the sake of your kingdom are not always opportunities where we're waving our hands in the air like we just don't care and everything is ripe and well. Leveraging distinctive opportunities is saying this, for the love of God in Christ, we are centered with an eternal perspective. And so this beautiful little girl whose, whose life is extraordinarily well right now, and yet for her family, it is not well. She was leveraging everything she had for the sake of the kingdom. And we don't have to wonder that. And I can't just say, oh, I just, you you can know Sarah's life because um, she was on a bus to go to Botswana. No, we know her life because her parents stood in front of a camera and read her, um, her journal in the last moments of her life as she was riding to Atlanta. And I thought it would be fitting since we're talking about leveraging and being distinctive that we just pause and ask what we can do to leverage my biological children and our church family's children to live for the sake of an eternal value, something far greater than themselves. Somehow, in some way, so they write stories like this as they go on a journey. And so here's just a rudimentary, crude, no edited video of the interview with the parents and the siblings and the cousins as they talked about her life and her death. Watch with me, if you will. We asked to have the opportunity to speak because our daughter Sarah was a gift to us that was given on December 20th, 1999. And she loved the Lord with a love that was tangible. And I know you guys in the media don't like to hear a lot about that, but I hope you'll listen to it. 
because it's what she lived and breathed for. And when she was on the bus traveling, she journaled one last journal entry. And I would like to read that to you um, to share her heart with you. She said, I was just sitting here in the bus feeling a little sad. I guess because I'm going to be gone so long. And I was a little uncomfortable. Then I decided to read my Bible. I prayed and opened up to 1 Peter 5 and 2 Peter 1. Pretty much everything I read applied to me now. It talked about about watching over the flock entrusted to you, which would be my little buddies in Botswana. They were on a mission trip to Botswana. I didn't say that. And she was so excited. She earned all the money to go and share Christ with the children of Botswana. She said that she was also called to humble herself, which I will need to do. And that also means being a little uncomfortable. It talked about the devil prowling about like a lion, seeking whom he may devour, which he will especially be doing on this mission trip. And now what is our mission trip? And how we need to be alert and of sober mind. And lastly, how we get to participate in his divine nature, exclamation point. I'm, I'm, I mean, how awesome is that, is what she says. So mostly, I was just reminding of, reminded of why I'm here and that God has called me here. And his, has done this for a reason. So I know he's going to do incredible things. And we were up there talking and praying. And we know that the incredible thing is impacting the world for Jesus Christ. And we want you to know the love of Jesus Christ. And if you do not know him as Savior and Lord, for our precious, precious Sarah, please seek him today through his word. And Caitlin has something she wants to share that Sarah also said. Sarah sent this text to our, um, to the cousin, just, I guess, the, just today or yesterday. And she sent the... 1 Peter 1, verses 23-25. And for you have been, been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And then she commented on this and said, This is such a great reminder. We are like a wisp of smoke. We are only here for a moment. And this is not about us. Life is not about us. It's about God, who is eternal. So I want to dedicate the one moment I'm here completely and entirely to him. So if you don't know Jesus, we implore you, find him today. Thank you. Thank you. Phase, a time frame in the life of a faith family when you leverage distinctive opportunities to influence the future. While it is beautiful and powerful to have that video shared and the response that they gave, that response did not happen because they decided in that moment to all of a sudden become lovers of Jesus. It happened because there were people sitting much like you in this room who invested countless hours in Sarah and in her family to say, of all eternal realm to give yourselves to, it is for the sake of Jesus Christ. It was because, it was because, I'd love to just talk to our students for a second. It was because cousins and brothers and sisters wrote each other notes like they wrote. When's the last time you wrote your friends to say, if I could declare anything among you, it would be the glory in the name of Christ. And if I live here but just for a moment, I will live for his sake. 
Are those the notes that we're sharing so that at the end of your life, your cousin, your friend, your sibling would stand up and say, let me read what you wrote to me. This is not happenstance. This is definitive intentionality to say, God, we are not going to hope this happens. We are going to put a leverage in and we're going to mobilize for the sake of your kingdom. Our hearts, our souls, our mind, our strength, so that it is spoken of us that we are a vapor on this earth. But in that moment, as the book of Philippians will teach, which we will dive into next week, if we are given but for a vapor on this earth, it will be given for the glory of the sole name of Jesus. So we, we really want to be about that and to say, oh, that's powerful. How could that family pull that off? If they pulled that off because they have mined the depths of the love of God in Christ. How about us? Are we leveraging here for the sake of the gospel? I thought it would be very fitting on the heels of Bible school and in the face of camps where we're sending about 90 kids to venture together, that we would just talk about what we are about as a church with our ministries to our children and students. And this isn't going to be a super practical talk. It's going to talk about the big picture that we're actually strategically planning for. And we're saying, if we can leverage, we want to leverage in this way, in these manners. And our our passion point comes among our preschoolers, among our children, among our students by saying, we believe there's some things that God is doing here in this church that we, we really want to deepen them in. But we also believe there's some things we want to partner with you in your home so that we're all saying the same things together for the sake of the glory of God. And for me personally, there's three things I would like to share with you that we want to leverage in the hearts of the multiple Sarahs, if you will, in this church. And so they can speak back to us, maybe returning from Guatemala in a week or two, returning from camp in a week or so, or perhaps we'll be standing before at some point saying, oh my goodness, we love her. Oh my goodness, we have this hope of eternity. And while this is painful now, Jesus, there is extraordinary hope that we'll never disappoint. So however we leverage, it's in Jesus. So there's, there's three things that we want to be about. It's kind of a ministry philosophy for our, our family team. And if I could just share this with you um, in context of where we're going, um, you're, you're with us. We've been heading here for a year or two now. We, we really want, when our, the generations below us as adults, we really want to incite wonder. And I really like that word, incite. And I think we really want to step into their lives and we want to say to them, there is something wondrous about God. And we want to incite that wonder in, in, in them. I wrote some questions. What if children grew up amazed with the wonder of their heavenly father and how much he loves them? Imagine if generations believed and knew that God is big enough to handle anything that came their way. Imagine if that was the level of trust, not just this that we prayed into them. What if that were the level of trust that we taught and demonstrated and spoke and declared for generations here? That our God is a wondrous God. Our instinct is, is just to, to, to live in wonder of the heart and essence of who God is. When Moses wrote this new commandment in the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, which is the Shema, which led to the beautiful royal 
message of Jesus to love God heart and soul when he wrote in Deuteronomy and he began to talk about how we speak to generations he taught us a tremendous amount about elevating and being passionate for the wonder of God about inciting wonder for the things of God Moses just said I think that your significant relationship with Jesus is above every other thing that you're about He tells us our motive for maturity and our passion for wonder is out of our reverence and awe of the living God. And that's why when our choir sings, all I can do is cry holy. There's something that must stir among this room. We're just kind of going, this is holy. This is wondrous. I mean, there's something internal in us that knows we're just joining in the heavens right now. I mean, we're singing bigger than this song, and Ryan was singing bigger than his words, and in fact, we think the choir was good, but the angelic choir joined in. I mean, it was wonderful. It was inciting wonder for us when, when the, I love to read Deuteronomy 6. I just kind of want to do this for my kids and freak them out for the next five years of their life. When they come and go, I don't like this stipulation. I don't like this rule. I don't like this wall. I don't like this law. I don't like what you're doing. I love Moses because rather than kind of address, hey, this, particular stipulation is not working for me that's not necessarily how my kids say it to me but you know what you're saying this law it's not good Moses would then stop and here's here's his answer I um I love this um so uh here's what I want to tell you in context my beautiful child of the law that you're frustrated with right now we were slaves in Egypt in other words you kind of think you're a slave to the law right now well let me tell you about slavery so we were slaves, this is kind of one of these parental, we went uphill both ways in the snow, except we really did. We were slaves in Egypt, we were, we were, in, we were embedded in sorrow, we were, we were under the law and the living God came to us and he rescued us. The Lord brought us out of Egypt, let me just read his words, he brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders. They were great and they were terrible. They were upon Egypt and Pharaoh, his wife, his household. He brought us out there to bring us in and and give us the land that he promised. It was an oath to our forefathers. This is the goodness of our God. The Lord commanded us to obey all the decrees, to fear the Lord, to be in all of his power, to love him with heart and soul, to be passionate for his name. He has been good for us. He parted water so we could walk right through it. I can't remember. What was your question again? See, what's beautiful about this is he doesn't come to his kids and say, oh, I'm sorry you don't like this particular circumstance. He begins to incite wonder in the hearts of his children and just saying, look, here's what I want to do. Deuteronomy 6 just says it this way. "When When you are passionate for the commands of the living God and you have written them on their hearts, then I want you to repeat them. I want you to talk about them. This is Deuteronomy 6 6 through 12. Repeat them to your children. I am giving them to you today to be in your heart. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, when you bind them as a sign on your head. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your household. Speak them on your city gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land that he would give you, a land with beautiful cities that you did not build yourself. It is from him and for him. Houses full of every good thing that you did not 
fill them with yourself, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, and then you eat and you were satisfied. Why don't you incite wonder in the next generations? So um, I'm going to try this for a while with my children, and I'm not kidding about this. I'm just going to try to paint on the doorpost of their heart, paint on the heart of who they are, this wondrous God, when they start looking at me and saying, but I don't want to hear what you're saying. I'm just going to kind of go off. But you don't understand. I was brought out of enslavement to sin. I was brought in to freedom in Jesus. I was adopted by the living God. I have been placed as an heir in his family. I am a joint heir with Jesus. I have been marked with the seal of the Spirit of God. I am seated in heaven and I am in wonder of God. What were we talking about? Because this is the only place I want you to live, Sarah. I just want you to live in wonder of God when you're fearful on the bus because of the circumstances you may face in Botswana. Because Sarah, it will also be fearful when the bus turns over and it will be awesome when Jesus holds you and we will be broken, but we will still speak of the wonder of God and we will ask generations around us to receive Jesus. I, just, I want to incite that wonder. And this is what we want to be about as a church is just to say God is a wondrous God. I wrote this question for myself. You can answer it too. Imagine if generations believed and knew that God is big enough to handle. Imagine if our children knew that God is big enough to handle whatever life brings their way. Imagine us declaring that among one another. We also want to not only incite this beautiful privilege and joy of wonder, but we want to provoke discovery. What if generations were provoked to pursue a lifestyle of deeply root, being rooted in Jesus? Imagine the identity of generations that were determined by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and infused by the Spirit of God. The most important thing that we do to compel discovery is to build into their lives this idea that your God is trustworthy. As I watched this video, I thought, oh my goodness, so many have spoken this into her heart that God is trustworthy. That he delivered, I'm just going to go back what Moses would have said. He delivered us from slavery. He loved you even when you ignored his instruction. He loved you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I think the point that echoes through generations is you can give God your heart and you should. You should love him with everything because you can trust him forever. And if you will pursue Jesus, I promise you, you will find a maker who will walk with you and you will discover the truths of who you are in unprecedented ways. I, I just, I believe, I think of this generation and I was reading Deuteronomy and I was thinking, oh God. I mean, as they prepare to make their way into the land of promise, Moses will not be with them. But what power there is as we think generations, and some of us, you know, I'm, I'm way past the midline at this point in life. A lot of us in this room are way past the midline at this point of life. And there are desperate needs for Joshua and Caleb to be standing in and going, hey kids, I want you to know you can trust God. You can trust God no matter what, because I want you to know the depths of discovery I've had in him. Joshua's and Caleb's in this room, any of us that are generations above, as we are inciting wonder and provoking discovery, let us speak that not out of some context of our study. Let us speak that out of a love relationship with God in Christ.
Let's look at them and say, look, I know, I know we were ready 40 years ago and I stand ready today. I have silver hair, but I have an imperishable heart through Christ. Our kids need that from us. Generations need to have their, their passions inside. And I, I just wrote down this third thing. Incite wonder, provoke discovery, fuel passion. Can I, just, can I just run a couple more just questions I have? What if generations developed a passion that mobilized them to do exactly what Jesus did on this earth? What if that were just happening throughout generations here? And it is. Just, we, we're going to be about amplifying the name of Jesus. What if they knew that they are designed to participate in God's, the, God's predetermined activity, that he has a redemptive plan for every generation? What if we believe that? And more importantly, what if we fueled that? What if we poured that in? What if we looked at Tariana and said, okay, we're excited. I know you're going to duck your head again because you're not going to let anybody see you right now in this room. But we are going to pray that God fuels the passion of your heart. And he uses you in Savannah, Georgia. And he uses you in Guatemala for the sake of God's glory because that's normal. It's just normal. That's what kids who love Jesus do. What if we fuel that passion and we did it with our feet, with our hands, with our heart, with our soul? It would, it would be beautiful. If we want to fuel the passion, I, I just want to read three or four things. I think these are all just huge sentences for me. These are sentences that are at the very foundation of what Matt and Kelly and Leanne are about. If we want to fuel the spiritual passion of the next generation, let's not teach them about ministry. Let's teach them while they do it. Let's not, let's not tell them, y'all, you're gonna, you're the future church. That's, I've hated that for 25 years. If we want them to know of their significance, let's not tell them they are significant. Let's invite them to do something significant. I'm speaking to the generations now, the younger students. I am asking you, what is it that you're doing that's significant for the eternal sake of the name of Jesus Christ right now? Not when you get old and get past all the things you need to get out of your life. I'm asking you right now, Sarah, what are you doing for the sake of the gospel? Because there are kids at your school that need somebody that will say, we're living for you, Jesus. If you want generations, this is be coming up on the screen. If you and I want generations to walk away understanding what it means to be the church, give them opportunities to be the church before they walk away. I get so burned on this, this 8 out of 10 kids when they hit college, they're going to stroll away from Jesus. I'm just a rules breaker. I'm not a fan of the law. And I'm a guy that just sits in the room and says, I don't, I don't accept that. Because I believe there is a power in Jesus and I believe there is a spirit of God and there is a beauty of the church. And so then I begin to say, so God, I want to be a part of a church that incites wonder in the hearts of our children, that provokes discovery in the hearts of our children and that hands the responsibilities of the kingdom of Jesus Christ to them as young as we can to say to them, you are on mission today and I want to fuel your passion. And they look up line at the silver hairs in this room. And I, by the way, I got my hair cut this week. I have nothing but silver on my neck. It's depressing. They're looking up at me and going, hey, preacher, tell us. I don't want you to teach me about this. Show me. I have no interest in your words right now. I am more interested in watching your life as you walk this out. That's the same thing they're saying to mom and dad. That's the same thing they're saying to every Bible study leader in this room. That's the same thing they're saying to every leader that steps into their life. Show me what it means to be the church. 
And I want to walk this out today. I, I saw this also, and there's this, this story doesn't have a sad ending. This story is just, well, it does. It's just the whole thing sad. There was a girl that came to our home this year, the lead disciple now. Her name was Kayla Ferris. And I started following Kayla on, um, on a social network, and she posted something this week. Uh, I didn't give the order pictures, Thomas, and so there's a picture of Kayla standing among a bunch of Haitian kids. And you should just meet Kayla. It was, it was just fun to get to know her. And um, when you're around her, she's like, she's, she's moderately passionate. I mean, when you're around her, she's like blatantly like this, there's this, this, you walk and the, there's like this fire around her for the sake of the things of Jesus, both at her home church, which is Fruit Cove Baptist. And as I say that name, I think we should be massively in prayer as, as Pastor Tim spoke painfully of the journey that he's on with his wife. Our church should be bathing that church in prayer. But Kayla is part of that church and she's investing in a generation below her, just pouring her life into girls. And then also she spends half of her time, she's 20 years old by the way, she's 20, 20, again, can I just say that like three or four times, she's 20. She's kind of pouring half of her life in Haiti and half of her life here, and just, she's just beautiful about that. And so um, some other pictures came up of some children, and she, she, she wrote this out on her social network. She said, I love this, the kids on my street raised $13 for Haiti by selling stuff and doing their fidget spinner shows. I was reading that thinking, this is so fuel and passion, right? Like, the kids on my street raised $13 for what they know is my passion. And the only way they know that is because they live on my street. And my passion is very clear to everybody on my street. So my kids on my street threw a fidget spinner contest. If you don't know what that is, bless your heart. <laughs> Ask any of the children around the room. We gave those away this weekend to those who brought guests with them. Fidget spinners. And selling stuff. I just, this is the picture of fuel and passion. This isn't some grand mystery. This is a 20-year-old girl who says, can I speak to the 8, 9, and 10-year-olds in my neighborhood and just start telling you that being the church started when I was about 15? And it could have started earlier if somebody had taught me. But I'm just living out this Jesus thing. And I'm living it out in such a manner that it's powerful. And I read this tweet and I was just all happy and excited. I immediately wrote her and said, when are you going back? She said, I'm going back Sunday, which I think is either today or next Sunday. I have no idea. And, um, and she just kind of wrote me. And so, you know, for me, I clicked one more click and her blog was sitting right there. And I read it. And then this is the part that just kind of humbled me because um, last time our team was there, um, she was there at the same time and she was in like the place that nobody's supposed to go in Port-au-Prince and she's just right in there going, everybody said, don't walk into this place and here I am just, just giving Jesus away for the sake of his gospel. And, then, and then, uh, then I just read it and she met a whole slew of young women who were selling themselves and I'll just kind of keep it PG in this room for a dollar. And she described the whole scenario. And she said, she said in her journal, this is way past the tweet, the tweet was happy and cute. And then she said in her journal, she said, I'm going back to go into a part of uh, that, that's uh, Port-au-Pay, and then um, I'm going to land in Port-au-Prince the last 45 days, and I get to disciple young girls in prostitution. And I, I want to read her exact words. It was just really cool. She said, thanks to Wendy, and okay, it involves me going way out of my comfort zone, which is, by the way, my favorite place to be because I am the church. I added that. Doing a weekly Bible study with prostitutes in Port-au-Prince with anywhere to 50 to 150 girls. And I'm going to speak Jesus into them because I've discovered him. 
And I am the church. And I'm not wasting time on this earth. I'm here for a moment. It's a mist. I don't have time to complain. I don't have this time to decide what I am comfortable or uncomfortable with. Just push me out of my comfort zone and in the middle of Jesus. I'm kind of adding my own words right now. Because I'm passionate for this thing. And so thanks to Wendy and Lisa, these amazing ladies that are, that are making the way for me to lead this study, I'm going to make jewelry with them. I'm going to make rugs with them. I'm going to make handbands, headbands with them. And whatever else we can think of from between now and then as a source of income so that they no longer, when I leave, will have to sell themselves for a dollar. That fuels passion for me. Wasting energy, complaining, and living your life for yourself, it is a quenching and grieving of the Spirit. But that is not what we're about in this church. We're sitting around going, how do we incite wonder? Because God is a God who has set us free. And for those who have been set free, they're free indeed for heaven's sake. And so we're wondrous about this, and we are speaking of this, and we're living this because I live freely. And you know what I've been doing for my days? I have been provocative in the discovery of who I am in Jesus. And it is completely amplifying this heart of freedom within me. And then hence people started telling me I got to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation with Jesus, that I was 15 years old, and they started saying to me, you can move for the sake of the kingdom. I wish they had told me that when I was five years old. And so I'm going to fuel the passion that God has put inside of me, not when I grow older, but today, right now, because wonder is incited in my soul. Discovery is who I am. Truth defines me, and passion emanates from me. And don't mistake passion for emotion. Passion has feet. Passion moves. Passion breathes. And passion draws in to the redemptive work of the love of God in Christ. May we, as a church, capture every moment of this phase for the sake of the love of God in Christ, inciting wonder, provoking discovery, and fueling passion. Try to figure out how to say this last sentence. As a dad, I need your help. Because I can't do this alone in the hearts of my children. And I need a church body to surround the kids in this room and in Bible school and going to camp next week with wonder, discovery, and passion. Mediocrity will not work for the sake of the kingdom. Let's go together and let's live in wonder together. Jesus, be glorified in us. Jesus, be glorified in us. Jesus, be glorified in us as we glory in you. God, I thank you for the 15 children who made a step toward Jesus this week. 
may they make a step into a white-hot place of wonder, discovery, and passion as they made a step toward you. Jesus, I pray that you would draw us to yourself and that there would be an abandoned joy about us on a bus as we head to an adventure, standing in the middle of, of prostitutes in a broken part of the world bringing the redemptive work of Jesus, barbecue grilling with our neighbor, laughing with our family. God, I pray that there would be just an abounding joy that defines us as a church, as a people, as yours. And so God, we're going we're gonna to sing for a bit. But I pray that our hearts would sing the song of heaven.